Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hi, everyone. Welcome again to the REI Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. Today, we welcome the awesome Tarl Yarber. Hey. Hi, Tarl. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So a little about Tarl. Tarl Yarber is the CEO and founder of Fixated Real Estate LLC. Awesome a leading, yes, it is. A leading investment company in the Pacific Northwest with over 40 million in single family residential properties purchased, rehabbed, and resold in the last three and a half years. Wow. Over 500 real estate transactions under his belt uh, his, in his career, Tarl and his team are considered experts in the investment industry and specialize in real estate systems for success. Tarl is founder of Fixated on Real Estate, the top P&W real estate meetup with an average of 175 attendees monthly and has since created, which we were just talking about, the P&W Big Badass Real Estate Wealth Expo, where once again, this year, we'll have over 750 investors gather in Seattle, Washington for a three-day conference and expo, being the only regional conference for investors in the Pacific Northwest. Before Fixated Real Estate was created in 2014, Tarl started off in real estate early on in 2005 after attending a seminar and buying a course on wholesaling properties, which ultimately led to his dropping out of college and never turning back. Amazing. Well, welcome, Tarl. How you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me. This so that first course right there, what was your first step into real estate? How Are you talking about the, uh, when I dropped out of college or about the wholesaling program? Sure. Yeah, yeah, let's, say, let's say what was, what was the first deal that got you hooked uh well actually okay so that bio doesn't do it justice because uh not long after that i think got out of real estate again so the uh, uh after the crash because 2005 uh wow. was shortly before everything collapsed and stuff and i actually realized pretty early on that i didn't like real estate that much uh but back to the story though in 2005 i went to a seminar in los angeles i grew up in sacramento and it was a real estate wealth expo where there was like 40,000 attendees. It was this huge thing. Cause if you, I don't know how, when you guys started, but back in 2004, 2005, especially 2005 seminars were all over the freaking place. Kind of like they are right now. But uh, back then they would do these huge programs and all the stuff. And it was run by, uh, I think the real estate wealth expo still exists. And I think they're doing stuff now again, but they had 40,000 people. Donald Trump was there. Uh, they had Russell Simmons there. They had uh, Robert Kiyosaki. They had Ronald Grant. They had all these big, huge names. They had Tony Robbins, you know, and I was blown away because uh, I've never been anything like that. And then this guy comes on stage and talks about this personal development program uh, that for whatever reason, I was just like blown away and I wasn't going to be sold anything, but for, I jumped out of my seat, ran out of the back of the room and bought this $1,500 uh, seminar that on personal development, not even real estate. And I didn't have it. I had no money. I had like 500 bucks, but I put it on a charge card. And I, so I had 30 days. So it was American Express. I had 30 days to pay it off. And I was freaking the blank out because <laughs> I had never done risk like that ever. And so I started searching around this program. I saw another one called How to Turn $10 into $10,000 in 30 Days or Less. And I'm like, well, I got 30 days to pay this card. Let's go see what this thing is all about. And so I went to that program, this, uh, this lady that was putting it on, wasn't selling like a seminar. She was selling like a CD and booklet and all that type of stuff, uh, on wholesaling. Never even heard of wholesaling. 
and assignments of contract. So, but she said that if you did it, you could make, you could turn a $10 earnest money deposit into a $10,000 assignment check. And I'm like, got 10 bucks, I need 10,000. So I'll spend the money on this thing and do what it says. And so I bought this wholesale seminar so that I could pay for the personal development seminar <laughs> that I really wanted to go to. And that's how I got into real estate. And so, uh, and a whole bunch of weird crap happened after that. So. I feel like we need to think of a program right now so we can just sell you a program. Let's see what we got today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I yeah. love it. Wow. So it was interesting because they, they had a carry back seminar. So they, she never did a seminar. She had a, three months later, she did like a one day gathering to talk about short sales for some reason. But I went to it and she, there was like 400 people in the room that bought the program at her, at the expo. And she asked like how many people have actually gone out there and done your first deal yet or have used the program. And I'm thinking, I'm super naive, I'm 20 years old. So I'm thinking like everybody in the room is doing something. And I raised my hand and I'm looking around and I start putting my hand back down because nobody else raised their hand. And it was at that moment I realized there's like so many people out there that buy these programs and don't do anything or they, or they like to be seminar junkies or they wanna learn everything first before they take action. And I never really understood any of that uh, because I had bills to pay and I needed to do it. So, but uh, I guess that's one thing that made me a little different was I was super, super naive about what you were supposed to do that I just literally followed the program word for word. Well, the thing and, is, it wasn't even being naive. It was just your natural ability to take action. Whereas you have all these, what, you, what did you call them? The seminar junkies uh -huh. who just learn and learn and learn and learn and they don't do anything about it. I mean, we're huge advocates for mentorship and it sounds like you just jumped in and found a mentor. Even no, though I found a program. She yeah, was not a mentor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that yeah. helps you help jumpstart your, your career. I mm -hmm. mean, without that program, do you think you would be where you're at right now? No, um, and I think, but what was a higher impact for me was actually the personal development seminar because that was what led me to taking risks and taking action and jumping out of my comfort zone. Awesome. Was that, that pivot, we all, I don't know if everybody has those pivotal moments in their lives where they can totally like remember crystal clear that exact moment where like your entire world went 180 the other way. Uh -huh. and, and that was me standing up, running to the back of the room and spending 1500 bucks on a personal development seminar was like an insane 180 of what, who I was and what I was on track for. Well, what is, well talk about the return on investment. Yeah. <laughs> $1,500 yeah. to where you are now. Well, let's continue. Yeah. So yeah. beyond that, how did you learn who helped you take steps to mentor you? Um, so past the programs that you bought, yeah. do you have other mentorship? Uh, I would say that mentors outside of real estate have had far more effect on me than anybody in real estate. And the, the people I've met in real estate have all been great people recently, more so than ever. Uh, but prior to me getting to where I do with, with what I do with fixing real estate now, prior to all of that stuff, I was, I dropped out of college and then I also did real estate for not that long. I only did it for about a year uh, before I just decided to get out of it after 2005. And I did a couple of deals, made a bunch of money on one. And then I just said, screw real estate because I hated it. And the, I got into financial services and I started becoming a financial broker. And at that point I met a lot of uh, very awesome 
uh, mentors that helped me guide me through business and life and all sorts of stuff. Like one guy, Bob Wolf, uh, who was, he's a senior vice president for a financial company that out of Sacramento, actually it's a national financial company, but his office is in Sacramento. And he helped me a lot to navigate like uh, how to become a better leader, how to become a better person, how to become a better communicator and how to grow up quickly also and be good, become good in business. And so he had a bigger impact on me than anybody ever in real estate. And even then he became more of a drinking buddy than an actual mentor. <laughs> but as I got older, uh, but the bigger mentor indirectly became that seminar that I bought at age 20 from the personal development. I'm actually uh, really good friends with that guy now that ran the program. And we were just in Disneyland with him a few, like two weeks, two, three weeks ago and with him and his family and me and my wife. And so it's, so it's kind of interesting how we didn't become friends until 10 years later. And so I went to that seminar, went to his program uh, for personal development. And it wasn't until almost literally a decade, I came back to another one of his programs. And then indirectly him and I became friends. And we just, you know, me and him and his wife uh, and my wife, we hang out quite regularly, actually, whenever we're traveling or going to see. So it's kind of interesting how that happened. But uh, nice. And he's been an indirect, indirect impact uh, as far as mentorship is concerned. So what was the trigger since you, you, you prefaced that you don't like real estate to, to no. push you to get back into this space? <laughs> I still don't like real estate. <laughs> I just want to keep that simple. But uh, real estate kind of stumbled back into my life in 2011. And I moved up to Seattle, Washington from Sacramento. And I got out of financial services. I had a great career at it. Uh, we had 76 licensed agents. And, uh, but I just got really, really, really tired of people. I think I had a quarter life crisis or something. I don't know. But, uh, and I came up to Seattle and I wanted to do something different. So I started looking around for something different. And I reread Rich Dad Poor Dad, which is what got me into real estate back, uh, back in the day. And ultimately got me liking it. And I said, okay, I'll do something with real estate. That was really, you know, for whatever reason I got out of it, let's go find something. And I answered a Craigslist ad uh, for a company that was opening up in Washington. They were based out of Arizona and they needed a national salesperson to, they were a Fannie Mae uh, service area manager. So they, they were a company that had a contract with Fannie Mae to do the rehab for any off market properties that Fannie Mae had in their REO portfolio. And so I knew nothing about that, but I knew how to talk and sell people all day. So they hired me on, but under one condition for me, I didn't want to be an employee and because I never was. And I wanted to have an actual contract with them as an independent contractor, which later became a partnership. And that got me back into real estate. Then all of a sudden, in a very short period of time, I took their company and went to seven states and opened up offices all over uh, and started becoming the largest uh, service area manager for Fannie Mae, which then led to a lot of bank contacts, uh, which led to us coming full circle back to getting a, through another partnership through some of the people in that group uh, that led to us starting to buy and fix and flip houses in multiple states through some off-market sources through the bank contacts that we had. Uh, that was back in 2012. So that became a partnership. This is a, there's a lot of stories in these things. So I'll try to do my best to condense this. Uh, a lot of, you know, our partnership, there's ended up ultimately in 2012, they became, there was five of us, which 
try splitting a profit with five people. And then the, which then later came to three of us. And in between 2012 and 2014, there was three of us in seven states. And most of the, most of the business came from Washington, believe it or not, where I lived and Arizona and then Nevada. Uh, and in 2014, so we did a bunch of properties, like a ton of stuff. Uh, and then in 2014, I got out of the partnership due to issues between me and uh, one of the partners. And, uh, and I just didn't want anything with it whatsoever. And I left. And then between 2014, February and 2014, August, I did nothing but play video games and hang out with people. And I was going to become a firefighter. I got my EMT. I was like, screw real estate, never do it again. I didn't like it anyways. And it was always for money. And uh, I got suckered back into it in August of 2014 to help out a friend. And which led to me then partnering with a hedge fund and then doing, helping them find properties. And then four months later, I got out of that and started fixing real estate officially. And uh, I still didn't like real estate. So, uh, but I was doing it for money and I was good at it. And I think, I know I'm rambling a bit, but I think the reason why we've been able to be so successful at fixated real estate was because I don't like real estate. Uh, it forced me to create a lot of systems to get me out of it so that I don't have to do it. And we have a lot of our business is designed to where I'm not that involved if I don't want to be. And, or to have that duplicatable process to where we don't have to think about it at all because I hate thinking about most everything we have to do in the business. So why keep repeating it over and over and over again? Let's just create a process that we can just duplicate over and over and over again and have almost no hands-on on it at all. So. Well, I definitely nice. want to talk about systems, but you've, you've formed a lot, a lot of partnerships over the time, work with so many different aspects. What, not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. But yeah. when you were doing it, for people that are possible partners, what, what do you see as red flags when going into a partnership? Don't have handshake deals. So the, I would say biggest thing is that contracts and joint ventures and operating agreements uh, make friends stay friends. And it's a contract or a joint venture or operating agreement. It doesn't matter. Uh, it makes honest people stay honest. So a big thing, if you're a dishonest person, it doesn't matter. Like you're going to find a way to get out of it. And a contract doesn't mean crap unless you want to enforce it in the court of law. And I mean, that's just, that's a headache in of its own. So the majority of contracts, even if there's a breach, majority of people don't even go to, you know, they might like bow up and have an angry attorney write a letter to you or something, but to go into court is another whole process. So the, I would say your biggest thing is to make sure you're going into a partnership with somebody that you get along with and you're friends with, but at the same time, they bring uh, something to the table, right? So don't, a lot of people want to say, oh, we should do this together. We should become a business partnership. We should do this deal together. And because of that, we should own a company together. No, you can do a deal as a joint venture with somebody and not own a company together. And you could be a transactional based uh, partnerships where it's just purely from the transaction side unless they're bringing something like equally to the table or if you're getting lucky and you're bringing the lesser amount you're able to get yourself in there that's another way to do it uh, then you should, there's really not a need for a partnership uh, I think too many people give away too much of their business just because they don't know how to hire somebody to do the same thing and and figure that process out and process out instead but good contracts good communication. It is pretty much a marriage. I mean, if you're not going to just sit there and marry somebody that you don't get along with, 
actually that's not true a lot of people do uh but the you're gonna you're gonna you're basically you're gonna have tax returns with this person you're gonna all this stuff that's totally different that if you don't think they have the same values and ethics and morals as you then don't be in business with them and maybe there's a way to outsource it whatever it is that you need through somebody else or pay an employee like what i ended up doing so amazing now talking fast forward today what if someone walks up to you what's your and asks you what you do what's your elevator pitch uh, I snowboard, I scuba dive, I <laughs> hang out with my friends. No. Uh, the Good answer. Totally would rather do any of that stuff. And I mean, reality, I never, I don't know. I say, I actually, I don't even answer that question to be honest with you. I say, because I, I don't want to talk about it. So I say, I, I real estate invest. And, uh, you know, we, we're more known for volume, fix and flip. Uh, and right now we do a lot of buy and holds, but it's not, I guess I don't go to a lot of places where I do that. So sure. I just expect people to know who I am. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> and if we talk about your business today, yeah. and we've, we've prefaced a lot about systems. Let's talk a little bit about hiring and instead of uh-huh. why you hire now instead of partnerships we've gotten, but what's your first hire and, and what it, if someone has no system out there winging it today, how could they take the step to actually create a business and stop working in it? Uh, I think, okay. So there's a few things you said there. And you went from hiring to creating systems. So would you want me to focus more on the hiring let's, part or the systems part? Let's start with first hire and then move into systems. Okay, fair enough. So we, my first hire that I had in fixated real estate when I was fully on my own, that's different than our hires when we had partnerships. And the first hire that I, that I brought on was Serena Norris. And she's right now for uh, technically our operations manager. And she started out as an assistant. And so she, I met her at a wedding and where her cousin is really good friends with my wife and I, and she was getting married. I was looking for an assistant. I needed one badly. I had at that time, probably 18 projects going on and I was by myself and I needed somebody to help out. And that person needed to do all the stuff I didn't like to do, which was the uh, filing system side of it, the keeping things organized on the back end, communicating with the contractors, the finishes, uh, writing those emails, making sure that, uh, you know, we're taking somebody's QCing and driving these properties and coordinating with the quality control and the photos that are involved with that. So basically doing the office administrative stuff that I just didn't have time to sit down and do all the time. And then also that also led to accountability to make sure that we're not missing anything. So we created a you know, checklist for each property that I then put into her lap and I said, okay, well, you just need to make sure that if I'm moving too fast, that I don't miss these steps. That was like her first job was just like uh, quality control of properties, but also, you know, if you see me going too fast and skip something, let me know. So that way I can go back and we can go fix that. Right. So it's more of an accountability thing. And, but that led me to having to communicate uh, in technology more of what we actually did so that she knew how to do what we did, right? Because you can't just hire somebody if you don't know what you're doing and you don't know how to communicate what you do, how is anybody else going to do that either? And it forces you, whether you get virtual assistants, which I'm a proponent of, uh, or when you hire somebody, it forces you to have to become a better communicator and a better processes person. And because or else you're gonna be wasting money on this, on this employee that is sitting there going like, what do you want me to do? Yeah. <laughs> and they have no clue. And they're like, figure it out. That's why I hired you. Well, that's not fair to them at all. 
Yeah. And you're the one that hired them. So, uh, so my first one was my assistant. She was working 15 to 20 hours a week. And then that led to uh, later hiring a project manager because the construction was what was taking the longest time out of our, uh, you know, on our issues, dealing with contractors, and babysitting them and negotiations and paperwork or scopes of work, make sure they're accurate and making sure everything's working, excuse me, sorry, make sure everything's working how it should. And that led to project manager. Later it led to an acquisitions person for Nate because I kept getting just constant deals sent to us all the time, but I was missing out on things because I couldn't sit down and you know, evaluate properties all the time. And somebody else needed to do that and weed through all the crap that gets sent to us. And then, so that I needed to take that off my plate. So each, each thing, so administration stuff started going away, project management started going away, acquisition stuff started going away to where I just became more decision maker. And the, and even then I started trying to take that away from me. Uh, but through all that time, there would be a process like there'd be, okay, this is how we use Dropbox. This is how we use Basecamp, which we used Basecamp for a long time. Uh, now we use things called like smart sheets. And now we use, we got out of Basecamp. We use Asana, A-S-A-N-A. And we use Dropbox like crazy. Uh, that's our biggest tool that we use all the time. And, and even then we have, this is how we set up a property. So when Nate, our acquisitions guy, uh, has a, a property set to us, he knows before I even know about it, he has to collect specific data for it, right? And it's a process. It goes into an actual or Dropbox file in a specific way. It goes into Asana in a specific way. So that way, if it's been cleared out and it's something that I should look at, I can just open up everything and I'll have everything there. And, and it's all in a time sequence that it got to, it took a while to get to this point. It was not overnight by any means. <laughs> yeah, a lot of trial and error, a lot of bull crap, uh, screw ups on our part, a lot of, a lot of opportunities missed, uh, and a lot of just, you know, headaches at times. Uh, but I think because, we got Sorry, I'm going to interject because you're so good at systems. I want to, I want to get a little bit into the nitty gritty of how you do Dropbox and how you use oh, yeah. it and Asana, how you use those two programs to basically run your business. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I wish there was a way to share a screen or something I could show you. So, but uh, that's probably too nitty gritty on the podcast, especially. So those of you listening, stare at your speaker really quick. I'll show you something. <laughs> uh, the, for, Dropbox, uh, so that's a good point. So Dropbox was the first tool we started using and it's such a simple, simple thing to use. It's just a filing cabinet online. And I, I am horrible at physically filing things. I don't know if anybody else is. I have it, my desk is completely clean right now. Yeah, okay, you are. <laughs> so uh, my desk is never clean. It's because I just bought a new computer system, so I had to clear it up. But the- I bet you can't the, find anything now. It's somewhere, but the, um, my challenge is if I take a piece of paper and, and I put it in a filing cabinet, it is gone forever. So it's, it doesn't exist anymore. Like it's just gone. And so therefore, uh, I can't file things I need because for whatever reason in my head, it doesn't exist if it's, if it's in a filing cabinet and I have one literally sitting like a filing cabinet right next to me. I've never opened it. So my wife opens it. Um, the, so, but. I am very good at electronically filing things. And that's what kind of started the Dropbox thing. Uh, I needed a place to put our property. So when you have one house, I see this all the time. People take their phones, right? And I say, hey, show me photos of your house, uh, of the before photos. And they're like, okay, cool. They open the gallery on their phone, right? And they start scrolling 
oh, when was I there last? And uh, they go all the way down. Oh, okay. Oh, wait, no, that's not it. And they're just trying to just figure out, show them property photos. I'm like, how do, how do you run a business that way? So uh, for whatever reason, for me, I didn't want to do that. I also didn't want to take up space on my phone. So uh, the very first thing we started doing was pictures. That was it. So we, I just opened up 123 Main Street, make a folder. And I would put, and I made a folder called Rehab Pictures. And I made a folder called Before Pictures. That simple. And for, it made sense to me. And I, when we did the before photos, I just took photos of the house. And, and it was always a pain in the butt for me where I wouldn't take enough photos. And then I'd go back home because our properties aren't close to, to where I've ever lived. And, and I'd go back. Or we actually had, let me back up. We had properties out of state. So this is actually where it ultimately started. How can we, I'm not going to fly out to Arizona or Florida or wherever to go look at a property that's not going to work that way on a single family fix and flip that you're making 10, 15 grand on the flight and hotels. There it all goes, right? So uh, we had to force people to take lots of photos and put them in a Dropbox file. I forgot. That's how we used to do it. Dropbox file. And so we could look at the photos that way and analyze and review the property better. And if they didn't take enough photos, we go yell at them to go back or we couldn't make a decision and because, or we sent our realtors locally to go do it for us. That carried back over to when I got back on my own and uh, fixated. And I just started doing that, taking before photos, storing it. We take 100 to 120 photos of the property right at the get-go. We do it in a specific process, everything on the outside first. And then we go on the inside and we take photos as we go. Why? Because we were used to having somebody else take the photos for us. And if they took them all over the place in the house, oh, I'm going to take one outside, then all of a sudden I'm in the basement. Then all of a sudden I'm in the bathroom. Then all of a sudden I'm over here. Like, and you're sitting at your computer going, what is there something wrong with the floor plan or is there something wrong with the, where the photos are going? Are and <laughs> yeah, where are you? And so we just started forcing people to take photos in a specific way so that anybody clicking on their computer, they could see where they're walking the house. The other issue would happen in that we get back and we make the scopes of work and we'd either give it to a contractor back in the day to make the scope of work. Now internally we make all our scopes of work. And, but even when we gave it to a contractor and they're trying to make scopes of work through photos, then we want to knock out, we want to knock down a wall. Well, the contractor or myself or somebody else, because the photos are so bad, has no idea what's on the other side of that wall. So I'd always wish, oh my God, I don't even remember. So now we got to send somebody else out there to go take a stupid photo of the other side of the wall versus if we just took a ton of photos the first time we're there. So something that simple is it, it just, it's cha it changes your business in my opinion, because then you could just be there one time for 30 minutes, have somebody else or yourself take a ton of photos of all the, the entire property. You'll never have to go back again if you don't want to or have somebody else do it. If you're a wholesaler listening to this or an assignment contract person, whatever you want to call yourself, uh, the, if you send me a property with six photos, I'm going to say, great, when can I get access? If you send me a property with 120 photos and they're done correctly and I can tell what you're doing, then I'll go, cool, I could probably make a decision without having to walk the property. And so did that. Now, Dropbox then with the rehab picks was, hey, every time we're at the house, or somebody else is at the house that started with our realtors doing it, take photos for us and upload them into Dropbox and just put a date on it, right? So it'd be, you know, today's the 15th of March. I don't know when you guys air this, but uh, we'd say, okay, March 15th, 2018, drywall, right? That was just be the label. And then all the photos go in there. That simple thing has saved us so much money over the years because we've been able to go back when a contractor dispute would happen and the contractor would be like, I didn't do that. Well, we have photos. So like, yeah. there was nothing wrong before you showed up. Now there's something wrong, right? 
there uh, and the dry the the water heater was there that day you know it's not there and so or we have drywall damage or an electrician comes in and say oh no i didn't leave any of that garbage or i didn't cut that drywall out and be like you're the only one that's been at that property in the last two days so who else magically cut all the drywall out to put in all the wire oh there's wiring there too so uh the that's a bad example because, of course, electricians are going to cut wire. <laughs> no, but, but it's magical. Uh, if you have all your rough mechanicals in there and you find that the sheetrockers are just flying through and they cover up, you know, outlets yeah, or anything, you know. That's helped us so much where, yeah. you know, sheetrocks are sheetrocks done and electrician comes to trim out. They're like, we're missing an outlet. And they're like, God. And we'd have the electrician sit there starting to try to cut to find yeah. that. We're like, hold on, we got photos. And then we say it's right there. Uh, or we've had also litigation issues where we've had, challenges where we have one really bad one where we show up to a house and the entire thing was uh two a week and a half earlier than that it was already sheet rock the cabinets were installed we're near finished with the project we show up a week and a half later the whole house is gutted and the drywall is taken down to the studs right completely like and you're talking how the hell does that happen yeah so what <laughs> yeah not to get off on this story but the uh but we had photos we had progressive photos throughout the whole thing yeah. what ended up happening we had a small roof leak very small roof leak uh, from a torch down flat roof and the roofer was our sub uh, and our general contractor at the time didn't like that we subbed it out we put them in contact with each other and they were supposed to work it all out well the general contractor put it took it upon himself that said this is now a mold issue and there's dripping water here uh, let's call surf pro up and he then had them uh, mitigate the house which meant remove everything out of the house down to the studs uh, and then he had the nerve to say well now it's an insurance issue so call your insurance up and we'll be able to and then when you get the insurance check uh, you know give it to me and I'll finish the rest of the house <laughs> so uh, that led to a lawsuit so <laughs> and we won like hands down like when we just brought the photos and we just brought the progress uh, photos and we showed everything we were able to prove timestamp everything all that stuff that there was like no court case there's nothing there we had photos of everything we had communication we had we document everything through our emails like at that time because we wouldn't want to do it on the phone if we could avoid it and and then the photos saved us out of that whole thing that we won and wow. we had a huge judgment on the desk and then uh it doesn't matter but that simple thing goes from outlets to litigation <laughs> so yeah. whichever one. well but, it's crazy because like it's so simple. Like we yeah. take pictures every day. Our phones are, all of our phones are filled with pictures. Uh -huh. But the key of what you're saying is take them, put them in a file into Dropbox. Or Google Docs. Keep or the Google files Docs. organized. It's really simple, but yeah. do it. I mean, that's a huge value add from Tarl right there, everyone. If you're listening, go it's, back about five minutes, maybe yeah. 10. <laughs> that, yeah. It takes no time. You're going to walk the property anyways. Yes. So just take photos as you're walking. And you might think, trust me, you might think, I was just here a week ago and nothing's changed. Yeah, take photos so you can show that nothing's been done. So, and just progress. It makes a good portfolio later for your Facebooky or website or whatever. And to show the before and after progression uh, later down the line. So that's also good. I feel like we don't take enough photos. No, we take a lot. <laughs> so, so actually, uh, We take too many though, right? So that's the other part. Uh, but that's just how Dropbox started and you can use Google Drive too, but uh, that's, and then that later came to, of course, we're going to put all the contracts in there. Of course, we're going to put, uh, for us, we put all the bids in there and invoices, but everything's just labeled. 
correctly and in the right folder. So every property we have has the same five folders in the front, has the same folders, subfolders, has the same, everything, it's all the same. So that way anybody on my team, myself, uh, a stranger can literally just open up any of our project folder and see and find anything they need to find on that property that is physically needs to be stored, or sorry, electronically needs to be stored. And that's what, that's all Dropbox is. It's a filing cabinet, so why not use it? And then, or Google Drive, uh, which just is good. Google Drive might actually be better because it integrates with all the other systems like Docs and so forth too, uh, but we don't use it. And we're too integrated with Dropbox to get out of it now. Uh, but yeah, that's all we use it for. What are the five folders that you have? Was it five? One second. Let me, let me open it up. Somebody else does it. Uh, <laughs> it's so systematized, he doesn't even have to have to know. No, no, I can tell you. One second. <laughs> the, um, do, so we always have purchase folder. All right, everybody look at your screens. <laughs> uh, all right, so it's, we do, we have an analysis folder before picks, purchase folder, rehab folder, and rehab picks. And we keep them on that service. So we could put like rehab picks in the rehab folder, but we use the rehab picks folder way more than the rehab folder. So uh, we just have that on the surface. And so the analysis folder has everything that we had on the property prior to wanting to buy it. So inside like analysis is going to be like our comps are going to be in there. Our PNL is going to be in there. Uh, any pertinent information prior to the property is going to be there uh, and that we need to know about for later. Uh, on the house. We also have our analysis super sheet that we created that we, it's an input sheet for us to have all the, like the overhead view of the property and some of the specifics. If there's any red flags on it, it's all on there for analysis. Uh, and any very basic scope of work's gonna be in there. Before picks is just before picks. And purchase folder is anything that has to do with um, actually buying the house. So that's gonna be all the, uh, the contracts, the purchase sales agreement, assignments, and a title, everything's going to be in there. Later, we'll add a sixth folder just called Relist or, or Refinance, depending on what the property is. And that'll just be all the docs in there. Uh, rehab folder is pretty straightforward. Uh, so you're going to have a bids folder inside, invoices in there, permits are going to be in there if we have permits. Uh, plans are going to be in there as well. And our scope will work once we're, we make our scopes work on Smartsheets. And we uploaded it into Dropbox later for storage. We need to send it as a PDF to contractors later. Uh, and each one of those has its own subfolders as needed. We have our finishes folder too that goes in there too. So all of our finishes is systemized and uh, they're created on our Smartsheets. We, it's our own program that we created in Smartsheets that allows us to pick out all our finishes and print them out on a PDF and it shows a picture of every single finish we used with the SKU number, the pricing, where to buy it, all that stuff. And it took us three years to get to the point where it's on a simple duplicatable process for our finishes when we used to just store a bunch of photos of cool stuff that we like in our houses and then uh, send that to the contractor with a big email explaining it. And then later it progressed into, uh, luckily Serena, she's a gra she's formerly a graphics designer. So she got really good at, she hated me telling her to say, hey, uh, take all the photos out of that Dropbox file and put them in an email and send it to the contractor so they know what we want in the house. She hated that so she, got her illustrator out and put them into a PDF and started labeling them on a PDF. And it became a three or four page PDF with pictures and saying, this is a doorknob and this is where you buy it. Right. And so she started doing that and that was cool. Everybody loved that. Uh, but it wasn't duplicatable because she was the only one that could do it. 
And later, that's how we developed it through Smartsheets to where anybody can just go click, 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 click down the line and pick the finishes they want uh, for the house that we have, which we have templates for each type of style of house that we do. And that's just a matter of like, what paint color do you want and what tile are you gonna use? But it's all there, we don't need to go pick it again. Uh, and then we print it out, give it to the contractor, make them sign it. And so uh, all that stuff is, I could go down the line, guys. Super helpful because we've yeah. talked about systems before, but it's also we've never deep dived into it because yes. people are like, I got to get systems. I got to get, yeah. the, I got to get these systems system? going. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there's systems that we have to do. Yeah. Well, okay. What are the systems? Yep. So, I, I appreciate you going through step yeah. by step. I'm like thinking, okay, how can I? turn this into a spreadsheet that i can share to people so when they listen to this podcast well, they can follow the spreadsheet <laughs> well let, let's let's okay i don't want to go too complicated because for me i sit there and go like oh yeah let's talk about smart sheets and how i created that that's not applicable to 99.9 percent .9 of the people because they're like what the hell smart sheet for one and then two you know how do you create it so uh i think that would be a more applicable way to start out like so if we go down to the base level dropbox anybody can do right hands down to start filing your stuff correctly and taking photos. Uh, that is the easiest thing. If you can't do that, then you're lazy. So, or you just don't care about your business and it's a hobby for you and that's fine. And so the, there's a lot of people that run their business like a hobby and they regret it later in life. So stop doing that. The other part of it is that if you're looking at like finishes, finishes is a very simple uh, thing that I think people overcomplicate way too much. One, you don't need to pick your finishes up. Stop falling in love with your house. And it's uh, it's a business. It's a commodity. Let somebody else that knows what they're doing deal with that. So we, my issue, my system for a long time, which we don't do anymore, was I would take the realtor. So who's the listing agent? If they if they are going to list the house, they better be involved in the development of that property because they're the one that needs to sell it. It's not a free listing. I'm not just, oh, like, oh, my agent, I just call him up and he gets a, you know, a listing. They're all excited about it. Like, no, you're gonna list the house. You're showing up day one and you're gonna be involved in this thing. And you know the, you know the market, you know the area, you know what houses should be to get the best ARV because uh, after repair value, because you, you're involved in it. I can't pull it, you got the MLS. Go, go show me the houses that I need to make this house look like, right? And then tell me what colors to pick because I'm partially colorblind, so I can't pick that crap out. And the and I hate going to Home Depot and looking at. I love Home Depot. Sorry, I hate going to Home Depot picking out like finishes. I like going to Home Depot picking wood and so. <laughs> uh, but the so why not have your realtor get involved in that stuff, right? Why not put their money where their mouth is? If they say that they can sell the house for four hundred fifty thousand dollars. If you do the house this way, get that in writing. That's what I do on email, but uh, and or used to. And they say, okay, okay, you're telling me if I take this really crappy house and I do these finishes that you're suggesting, you want me to tile the master bath, you want me to put the you know this type of carpet down, you want me to paint the house this way, you need me to reside the house and put the windows in it and all that type of stuff, that it will sell for 450. And they go, yes, great. Can you write that out in an email for me and bullet point what I need to do because that's how you're going to get the listing. And so that's how we used to do it all the time. And then I would have the contractor and the realtor literally go meet at the house. And I'd have the realtor explain to the contractor what they wanted done. Now that can get carried away. So you got to watch out for that stuff. Uh, that's another conversation. Uh, but once those finishes were decided in that area, in that market, using the realtor to help me pick it all out, 
uh, we just started saving those photos and we started saving uh, that SKU number for the, you know, that door handle. And we started saving that in a Dropbox file, uh, which you can also do in an Excel sheet. You can literally take an Excel sheet out and pick the fit. When you do the finishes for your house, just take a little bit extra time putting down on an Excel file that we use this door lever from Home Depot and it costs that much. We use that tile from, you know, Lowe's and it costs that much and have a picture of it. it. The picture could be after it's installed, right? It doesn't need to be at the store. Uh, that way later, you can just not even think about it. You can just say like a style house, like uh, we used to have two, only two styles, brown side, brown, brown, brown house, gray house. Those were our two packets, right? Brown house was our lower end, gray house was our higher end. And we didn't do high end, we did mid, mid, mid end uh, back in the day when we first started doing this. And so if it was a gray house, we had a folder that said gray tones and that was it. And in the gray tones folder had all of the doorknobs. It had the paint. It had the, you know, the Sherwin Williams number for the paint codes that we liked. It had all the pictures filed in there uh, and the laminate that we used and, all, and the cabinets that we had, it was all in there. And we had a little Excel file that had that. And we just copy and paste that onto an email, send that to the contractor. Brown house, same thing. And that was our lower end stuff. And we did the same thing. So it's process, collect that data, uh, write it out, Get your contractor if they if you're having your GC do all of it. Get a materials list from him saying, okay, what what doorknobs are you using? What tile are you using? Right? Don't ever let your contractor pick up tile. So, yeah. you know, or grout color or anything like that. We get, I'm jumping around, but we get so detailed that we do have the grout color like and the type and where to buy it, and we have it all spelled out and what kind of metal schluter to use on the tile and where to put. Like we're too, we're really, really, really into that stuff now. Uh, that comes from, I got to go store in the grout color. So if you sit there and you have gray tone tile and your contractor puts a beige or off-white ivory type tile in there, I'm uh, sorry, grout in there, those don't really match very well, right? <laughs> and I wouldn't give a crap about it because I can't see the image, but, the, it's, but apparently that's a bad thing. So if you don't, here's how important this is though, guys. If you verbally told your contractor, hey, I want DeLorean gray grout, right, which is, you can get that at Home Depot, I think, but uh, on my, you know, on my nice 12 by 24, uh, whatever the hell gray tile we use is called, and, and they show up and it's a, it's a beige grout with the gray tile, and it was all verbal, what, what basis do you have when the contractor says, you never told me that? Yeah. Right? And the, you just then get in a piss and I'm sorry, you just start getting an argument there and you're just yelling at each other at that point. And then one of you guys is a jerk, right? <laughs> you don't know which one it is, right? You're searching your text messages, you're searching your emails, like, oh, I swear to God, I wrote it down. Versus if you just say, okay, we want this tile and this grout and you just have it, even if it's in an email that says it, right? Something's written down that says that that's what it's supposed to be. You can have your realtor write it for you. You can have somebody do it, but it doesn't need to be you. But then when that grout's wrong and you go in and say, dude, this is what we agreed upon. What were you thinking? Uh, you can then, which we've done, uh, force them to cut it all out and put in the right color grout for no cost. Now, without, don't pay them though, like until they do it. Um, and I know I've made people do that, but guess what? Those same guys never do that again, <laughs> that's for sure. And, but I would never make them do that if it wasn't written down because that to me would be wrong. It's my fault. 
that's the other advice. It's my fault if I didn't write it down. It's my fault if I didn't get them the finished packet. It's my fault if we didn't have a clear scope of work. It's not their fault. It's my fault because it's my company. It's my business. It's my house. It's your responsibility. I love that responsibility taking of your business. Like if you make a mistake, it's not, it's not the contractor's fault that you didn't have your, your skew sheet and you didn't write everything down for him. So we have, we have a really important systems question for you. Okay. Ready? Okay. If you had to battle a Tyrannosaurus Rex, what system would you use or what weapon? Your choice. Rex? I would write, take a saddle and <laughs> get up on that thing and ride it. Nice. <laughs> Best answer ever. <laughs> yeah, we've got to run away, you know, other points, I'll think them. But yeah, I think, I think steering and, you know, jumping and wrangling would be uh, ideal. Right. Awesome. Use that tool, right? Just become <laughs> an ally. That's a, that's a strategic alliance right there. Take down all the other ones. So, that's so, fantastic. So, Let's talk a little bit about your big why for doing all this. Oh, uh, freedom, ultimately. Yeah. And it all comes back to- Stand up a little bit. I want to see your shirt. Oh, yeah. Nice. Discipline equals freedom. freedom. Yep. Yeah. If you're not watching on YouTube, that's Tarl's shirt today, which can't be more true to a system's impact. So we yeah. love it. It's great. Yeah. So it's, it's all about freedom. It's all about uh, just quality of life and- yeah, my wife and I like to travel and we like to do awesome things, but it, everything we like to do costs money. So, uh, and I think now what makes me keep doing this stuff though, is that I do enjoy, uh, helping other people figure this stuff out. And I get more excitement out of life when somebody else is overcoming their fears and overcoming their challenges. And if I had some impact on that, I think I just, I love doing that. And I could talk, only reason why I like talking about real, I like talking about real estate. I don't like doing it. I like talking about it because uh, it helps other people avoid all the pitfalls that we've gone through. Like every system and process we have has a horrible story tied to it in some capacity about what happened to us to get to that point to why we started doing it. And and if we can help other people avoid that stuff or overcome their fears and their challenges, uh, I mean, shit, I mean, sorry. If you ever want to like go do some cool extreme sport activity and you're scared of it, like I want to be there right with you. Cause I'll be like, we'll do it together. Right. And so, right uh, right. yeah, that's right. And so <laughs> I, I think that a lot of people let fear, uh, overwhelm and dictate their life too much, you know, lets them, or, and it makes them avoid pretty much what life is like, which, so it's, I'm a big proponent of that. So I do it for freedom. I do it because it's an outlet now for more kind of a creative side of what I, you know, of myself, which is to be able to express and communicate and help others. And then it gives me that vehicle to do that uh, versus, you know, I, I can't, I don't have the credibility somewhere else to do that in. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that's so do you have a morning routine and what yeah. is it? Uh, very first thing I do is I, and this sounds mushy, but I do kiss my wife. And the, and then the second thing we do is we take a cold shower and the Wim Hof, the Iceman, uh, great. If you ever want to do something cool, go do, go watch the Iceman and what he does, uh, Wim Hof and Tony Robbins, listening to some of his stuff turned me on to Wim Hof plus also Tim Ferriss, which I'm obsessed with Tim Ferriss and the four hour work week. Uh, but we do, I literally, every single morning, it took me a while to get to this point. I thought my wife was doing it uh, before I ever did. I thought it was super stupid to do. And, and I had like, 
I just didn't understand it. And then I started doing it and that is uh, cold showers every morning. And I've been doing that for two years now. Uh, it's the first thing I do. That doesn't mean I keep it cold, but it always starts cold. And that's a wake up. It's, it's, believe it or not, here's the thing. Some people say, oh, it's for health benefits. No, no, no. I do it because it's, cause I don't want to do it. And it's a weird thing. And Tony Robbins said it. It's like, it forces you to start the day out doing something, even if you don't want to do it. So it becomes a habit of being okay to be able to jump into something that you just don't want to do. Right. And, and you realize it's not so bad. So now it's like something as simple as training myself to just take a cold shower every morning, whether I want to or not, has also had a lot of benefits mentally from myself later down the line when all of a sudden I want, there's a phone call I just don't want to deal with or whatever. It's like, no, I could do it, whatever. I could take a cold shower and pick and make a phone call. So, uh, it's, so it's, it is, does do that. So we also meditate, but he, uh, we use the Headspace app. That's uh, great. I can't say I do it every single day. I'd be a liar if I did. Uh, but probably three to four times a week, there's a good you know, 15 minute meditation in there. Uh, I also, we also read every morning and we read a great book, uh, probably three, three something years ago called uh, miracle morning by, uh, Hal Elrod. Uh, Hal Elrod. There you go. And that book really, really, really probably was the best impact of on personal development for my wife and I, because it forced us to start taking the morning to do all that stuff your whole day just could just go right we don't have kids but if we did it'd be even worse right but the whole day could just go 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 or sorry kids aren't worse kids are great uh it'd be worse for us like with our time though uh and so later down the line you know you sit there it's seven eight nine ten o'clock and maybe you haven't taken any time for yourself so the whole key is we take the first hour of every day not sometimes more we wake up early we do the cold shower then we meditate we drink coffee. We have no electronics at all uh, and no phone, no anything. And we read or we work out or we do whatever we want during that time period for ourselves. Uh, and that's, I could, I feel it when we don't do that. I get more anxiety. I get higher stress levels. If, and I realized, wait, I haven't, I didn't, I didn't take my time this morning. And no wonder I feel like all freaking weird the rest of the day. Uh, so it is very, very important to us to do that. That's great. Yeah, that's uh, that's a complete mirror image of Jason and I. If yep. we don't do our miracle morning, if we don't uh -huh. do our, we call them exercises to our kids. Uh -huh. um, if we don't do our exercises, my day shot. Well, not uh -huh. shot, but it's just not. It's, it's hard not to rebound exactly to where you wanted to start with, right? So, yeah. 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 And, and everybody's different. Our, our buddy, I don't know if your listeners know Jay Scott. Yeah. Yep. You know Jay Scott? Yeah. He's on, I think. Uh, about a month ago? About a month ago, yeah. So I'll check in the episode and put in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. So Jay, I mean, he's he's become a good friend and uh love that guy. But he he had when I was telling him about that, what we do, like his thing isn't that, but his thing is his kids actually. It's kind of interesting where he goes, uh, he feels it different in his day if he wakes up earlier and plays with his kids fully for you know first hour of the day that's completely focused on them. Uh, and he feels like his stress level and everything else is totally like a lot lower throughout the day because he took that time. He's not thinking about business. He's not thinking about tech. He's not thinking about anything else that he's doing. Uh, and that's kind of the, the thing that I got even talking to him was it's not that it's not that you have to read or meditate or exercise. It's that you got to do something that's not your business. And it's something you enjoy, something that is for you. For him, it was playing with his kids. Uh, for us, because we don't have kids, it's meditating, cold showers, reading, all that kind of stuff. 
for ourselves. And it might be for your listeners completely something else, but it's what to take that time for yourself before the world takes that time from you the rest of the day. That's great. Well, besides your shirt, is there some words you live by? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, am I allowed to maybe cuss? So we have a, <laughs> so I got this not that long ago, but a, I was reading a Tim Ferriss book. Uh, there's a few, there's a lot of words I live by, but one of my favorite ones now, uh, we actually have this thing. I wish I could show you guys, but in our living room, uh, we have bolted ceilings and we have this one big flat wall where it's bolted up. So like, you know, like where it's like that, where it's a straight wall up and then it's a peak. And so this wall here has this big, huge saying on it. The saying says life is fucking beautiful. And the, so you can bleep that out if you want, but the, <laughs> it's, so that's a big thing for us right now is, uh, you know, take the moments to look at now, take the, be in the present as much as possible and, and just really appreciate that life is beautiful around you. And, and that I use that F word in there because it's a lot more like impactful and it's a lot more, you know, this is, it's, I don't know, it's more badass to me too, but, uh, and it, it, I think that a big part of people's lives just keep going by them and by them and by them and by them. Like they have, they don't, but for lack of a better word, stop and smell the roses, I guess, and see that there's a lot of awesome things around you now, uh, even if it's horrible <laughs> for what's going on with you. There's always something good that you can look at and appreciate uh, that's around you, and because life is beautiful. And also, like I could, I'm really being a personal moment. So, too many people waste their freaking lives doing stuff they hate. Right? They just continue to do things. They wake up every morning dreading what they're doing. Maybe not even aware of it. They're not spending time with their loved ones. They're not doing stuff that they love because maybe they're chasing some goal, some dream, something. Even, but they don't even know what their goal and dream is if you ask them. And it's define what you want in your life. And it's nobody's life but yourself. yourself. So why, or why are you wasting it? Why, why would you be doing something that you hate? Why, for my wife and I, she worked her own career. I'm totally going, this is my, my one, my one philosophy, right? So, <laughs> uh, you, you open the can of worms, dude. So, uh, the only thing her and I like to do is to be together. Like, it's kind of, like I said, it's, it, she, her and I have not been married that long, only a year and a half. Uh, but we've had really long relationships prior to each other. She's been married and I've had nothing but long-term relationships and it took to this point in our lives for us to find each other, but she worked a career that she loved right and i worked my business for pretty much the five years we've been together uh and then it wasn't until about six months ago where we're like why are we doing this like why are we not together we always tell everybody that we want to be together all the time that's all we ever dream about but we're not doing it right we're not sitting where she's still working her career she started to not like it and i'm still working my business and it wasn't for a financial reason we didn't need her to work uh so it we we sat down one day we took a big, huge butcher paper out and we started writing down what do we want in our lives together? What do we want our 2018? What do we want our 20 years from now to look like? What do we want our family, the values to be? What do we want to do for travel? What do we want to do for fun as a couple, which we never did. And then we realized, well, there's no way we can do this if she works her job. And there's no reason why we have to ever be apart again. So two months later, she quit her job and she's now with us full time. I'm with her every single day. And it's the best thing in the world. And it all, it, even if we fail financially, this is, was our philosophy. Even if we fail financially, we'll figure it out. The more importantly, we're together, which is what we want. It's not about the money. We don't need 
like to sit, and that's important to us. Not maybe you guys don't care about that stuff, but like ours, I know you two do, I can tell. Uh, but your listeners, it could be anything. <laughs> it could be that maybe you want to snowboard every single freaking day or something like I do. Then, then figure out a way to do it, right? Why you don't need that much money to go snowboard every day. You can figure it out, right? Uh, I know plenty of ski bums that sit there and live in their truck at the parking lot for the entire season at a ski resort that's just down the road from us. So it's right. like, you'll make it work, right? Figure it out. Sorry. That's my philosophy is find what you love, whatever it is, as fast as possible, and then go do it. Who cares what anybody else thinks? Screw everybody else. So we are going to trash this entire podcast. We're going to retape <laughs> it and have your wife on. Yeah. I think you could. Yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, we would next time. Definitely. Um, we're, we're really big on partnerships in terms of how couples are able to just make the life they want. That, that's important. It's an important part of the show. So that's we would awesome. love to have the both of you back. Talk Absolutely. Yeah. Great. You guys would love to have her. She looks better on camera. <laughs> that's well, thank awesome. you for all your words of wisdom, Tara. This has been incredible, um, incredible on so many levels. So before we let you go, what is the best way for people to contact you? Oh, or know about uh, the conference or all the other uh, things. Oh, you table. know what? Plug your <laughs> conference. conference. <laughs> all right. So if you go, if you ever, if you want to find yourself in the Pacific Northwest, which is Seattle for those, uh, for those of you that don't know, for the most part, unless you're Portland, you might get offended by me saying that. But the, uh, if you want to find yourself in April 27th through the 29th, uh, the Pacific Northwest Big Badass Real Estate Wealth Expo, you can go to pnwrealestateexpo.com and you can find the entire lineup there. We're going to have close to 50 vendor booths and sponsors it's an entire expo and conference at the same time the expo portion is because we wanted we didn't have anything regionally in our area at all it blew me away that we don't we never had a place in seattle area that investors could come together and see all the different vendors and investor based uh, vendors that are out there from cabinet companies to lenders we don't have one so we so i created one and then the other part we have the conference we never had a conference in the area too for some reason so right now we have about 28 uh, real hardcore investors on our lineup. We're probably going to end up around 35 investors uh, that are speakers at the conference. Uh, some people are national, like we, I brought up Jay Scott. He'll be there. Uh, we have a bunch of local regional dudes that are crushing it and killing it. It is not a sellathon. Nobody's allowed to sell anything from the stage. Uh, it is a true conference and real estate expo for real estate investors. pnwrealestateexpo.com, and you can find your tickets and information there. Uh, there's tons of information. We also also got cocktail parties. We got a, a live auction we're going to do for raising for fundraiser for a fundraiser there as well. Uh, there's a ton of cool stuff. But to find me, the best way to find us is our Facebook. And so the we are actively on our Facebook page. Uh, I was told the other day by some uh, college students that Facebook's for old people now. That's kind of weird. I didn't think I was that old. But uh, but Facebook, you can go to just go to Facebook and type in fixated f i x a t e d r e and you'll find our company page right there and you can find me there easily. We do a lot of videos. Uh, that's the other part. If you want to watch us do our systems and watch all the crazy crap that happens to us, we film it and we put it on our Facebook page. Uh, we, every single week, there's probably two videos that comes out uh, that has some sort of like, this is how you fix this. This is what we're doing now. Uh, and there's always some sort of message there about our systems in it. Amazing. Fantastic. So right. everybody go check out Tarl's Facebook page. You'll get so much value, especially I if you got it. some value here today so again thank you so much Charles, for being on our show thanks for having me and thanks for letting me talk about myself that's awesome. <laughs> <Love it. laughs> yourself and your systems yep. yes oh yeah those two yeah. Well, 
This is the REI Foundation podcast with Jason and Peely. Thank you again to Tarl and thank you to everyone who's listened. We are so grateful. You have a good day. Bye now. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.